Hello, thank you for joining us on What Is My Podcast About? It is uh, me again, Matthew Grace, and I'm joined by Keith Ramsey and Peter Akerley. Hey! This week, when we're trying to find out what we want to talk about on our podcast, we've decided to go with the topic of... uh... Teletubbies, as promised last week. All right, so what I want to talk about is kind of the voice trumpets and Nunu and how they kind of represent how technology and our kind of lackadaisical dependence on it We'll spell our demise, and that's kind of what the whole plot of the show is about. What did you guys want to talk uh, about? Peter, we talked about this. We're not doing Teletubbies. No. What? We're not. We owe it to the fair. What did you guys want to talk about? Well, we discussed Detective Pikachu. We said we are going to talk. Did you even watch the movie? D- I mean, I saw it, but like... I- All right, let me see if I can... No, no, re- give, give, give me those. No. Uh, give, you guys talk about what you're going to talk about. I'm going to... Think about Detective Pikachu for a little bit and figure out what I'm going to talk about. Matt, continue. All right. Well, anyway, regarding our topic, not Teletubbies, we want to talk about Pokemon. More specifically, Detective Pikachu, the movie that just recently came out. I mostly wanted to talk about just the overall plot of the show and the whole mystery that's being solved by Detective Pikachu and his human partner. Oh, okay. So pretty much just the mystery and uh, how he solves it and all that stuff. The breakdown? Yeah. Uh, mine kind of goes along with that. I mainly want to talk about the villain's plan and the implications of it, as well as how it affects the Pokemon universe. And I want to talk about Teletubbies, but if we're going to talk about Pokemon, uh, I guess I'll talk about how Detective Pikachu kind of fits with the greater lore of the games and shows and all that fun stuff. And think about Teletubbies while we're doing it, because you guys are assholes. Anyway, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie yet and is listening to this for whatever reason without seeing it which I highly recommend against. The plot is essentially your main character is partnered up with Pikachu, who only he can understand, who claims to be a detective, and they're trying to solve a mystery of what happened to his father, who is presumed dead. Well, since we've kind of started talking about this mystery and all this resolution that goes through, do you want to start with your point and talking about the mystery and how it's handled by the movie. Yeah, so uh, I found the plot and mystery itself fairly simplistic, as one would expect from a Pokemon movie, but it was uh, fairly well written in my opinion and generally put together in a decent enough way for a broad audience to kind of appreciate. Yeah, I uh, I like the way it was kind of handled in such a way that like all of the points still added up to the right answers. There wasn't anything where it felt like they cheated you by doing certain things. And like, well, there's no way I could have seen that coming. Like the fact that the villain uses a ditto in disguise as his son to achieve most of his goals seems a little bit annoying. Cause like, how can I, how am I supposed to know that that was ditto the whole time? But the fact that he's wearing sunglasses and they later reveal that under the sunglasses, is the ditto face with the beady little eyes. It's just like, it was there the whole time. If you had have thought about it, you can look back and see which scenes it's actually the sun and which scenes it's ditto in disguise as the sun. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I did like about the movie. As the movie was unfolding, sure, some of the things didn't make too much sense until it was explained in the context of the world. But once you understood its placement in the world, then you could look back at when it happened and say, okay, I see its connection now. It had its complications to it, too, as well. Uh, So, for example, I I was even, like, called a few things wrong by the time the end of the movie came. But at the same time, it wasn't so difficult that, you know, a general audience of, like, kids or uh, younger audiences that are watching this won't be so confused that they just, like, their brain shuts off while going through the movie. Yeah, there is more than a couple twists that definitely caught me, and I'm assuming caught you guys off guard, but at the same time, they weren't, like, twists for the sake of twists. They were there, and they all served a purpose, and that purpose was pretty well played out, and I feel like it handled them all really well. Like, uh, although one thing I do want to point out that I had a 
little issue with, but it was nothing major or anything that affected how much I enjoyed the rest of the movie, is uh, when the mystery first kicks off, essentially, when our protagonist enters his father's apartment and stumbles across this little vial containing this purple gas. It has an R on it, and henceforth that drug is referred to as R for the rest of the movie. We're never given any explanation as to why it's called R. Is it in relation to Team Rocket from the Pokemon games? We're never given any indication that that syndicate actually exists in the world. I feel like that was probably intended more as like a reference to Team Rocket. Because it was the R in the exact same shape as the R on all their shirts from the anime and from the games. But I feel like it was more so meant for like the people in the audience who were fans of Pokemon to have them be like, Hey, I recognize that R without being so heavy handed as to just be like, Rocket are the bad guys. Do, 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 do. I actually didn't even make the Rocket connection there. I just thought it was like Rage or something was what it was like being called R for. Just like shorthand. Like a, a Rage virus of some sort. Actually, yeah, Rage does kind of make sense. I just wish that they'd actually have given some reason for the R. I frankly kind of like that they didn't give us the reason for the R. Because we don't get to see a huge amount of the bad guy's perspective. And like, if the bad guy had have gotten into like... A monologue at the end of the movie where he's like oh well you see i called it r all along because of the rage it sent the pokemon into i feel like it would have detracted from the villain the reason i liked the villain so much is because he didn't spend a huge amount of time monologuing about why he did the things he did yeah we didn't get a moment of like yes experiments a through q failed but then <laughs> experiment r that is where everything clicked into place which also if that is the case where that's why it's numbered that way it's phenomenal because we see from like the clips that it's like day 60 when like everything goes wrong and they had been making air for quite a while in fact back when uh detective what what is the main character's name from this movie does anyone know i'll be honest i forgot i, yeah, I can't remember <laughs> i also don't remember justice smith sure justice smith when justice smith i, I just know that their last name is goodman goodman okay when Goodman's father uh, is tracking down the crime initially, which... Please, Mr. Goodman. Sorry, when Mr. Goodman... Let's just call him John for... <laughs> when this John Goodman uh, is tracking down the crime and tracking down R, he does this long before he goes missing. So on day 62, the explosion happens. A couple weeks before that would have been like day 50-ish, maybe, when he like is tracking down there. Which means in 50 days, they had enough of a successful run of A through Q tests... Uh, they failed A through Q tests and got to R quick enough to actually be producing it and running tests out in the field. That's a really quick lab if they got through 20 some odd tests that friggin' quickly. I mean, the more impressive thing right now is the fact that he tracked down and caught Mewtwo in less than that time. That's also pretty phenomenal. Speaking of which, can we talk about Mewtwo and how cool he is? <laughs> and also, I, I like how they took Mewtwo and they took a lot of his accepted lore, like the fact that he's a clone of Mew, and then played with it a little bit and like talked about it. One thing I found a little bit weird is how every main character in the movie knew very well about Mewtwo, and he's like supposed to be like a secret government experiment gone wrong that they like very much threw under the rug and yet everyone knows about him and knows that he's a very powerful pokemon well they do reference like uh, 20 years ago he was released in a canto so maybe an event happened in this world that explains why more people know about it and then there's the fact that everyone not everyone but a good chunk of people seem to know about this secret power mewtwo has of being able to swap souls with pokemon and humans but only if the pokemon is specifically not in its right state of mind that was weird <laughs> that is not canonical to the game although i would love that game where you're like telling your pokemon 
Alright, Pikachu, use Quick Attack against Mewtwo, and then you use Quick Attack, and then it's like, Mewtwo used Soul Swap, and now you're Pikachu telling the human what to attack to use against <laughs> I mean, maybe the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games is actually a weird dystopian future in this universe. Solid, uh, uh, solid option. I like that idea. But not actually canonological, because in the Pokemon handheld games, we do, when we first stumble across Bill, the person in charge of creating the Pokemon PC for storage, you first find him in the body of a Pokemon. That Pokemon wasn't enraged. He just put him in a machine and accidentally, for yeah, purpose, but, swapped oh, bodies. With what them. is near to Bill's house? The cave where Mewtwo is found. The cave where Mewtwo is found. We just cracked this wide open. Bill, Bill is the one who performed the initial experiments on Mewtwo. He discovered this soul swapping ability of Mewtwo. Tried to base technology off of it. It backfired, as all things do. Twenty years in the future, the inventor of Rhyme City discovers this hidden notes from Bill. Wait a second. Isn't the main bad guy's name? William? The main bad guy is Bill. Bill? <laughs> we figured it out. <laughs> oh god. How did He's he been working on this since Pokemon Red and Blue. So he realized he could do it in, even back because it's like canon to the show that he was he got a debilitating disease, went out into the world to study Pokemon to figure out how to solve this disease, discovered the solution. So clearly him like going out into the world and discovering the solution is him as Bill during the original Pokemon games, swaps his body with a Pokemon. Realize that he doesn't have the disease in the Pokemon's form. Gets swapped back by a helpful trainer. Then he comes back and founds Rhyme City. And builds this utopia of sorts. Uh, air quotes around the word utopia. Uh, and kind of uses this as a giant experiment to try and recapture Mewtwo. Because he clearly had access to Mewtwo earlier on. And that's how he performed the initial experiments. Captures Mewtwo. And uses him to transport his own mind into Mewtwo. And then use Mewtwo to put forcibly put everyone else in the side of inside their Pokemon partner. This is this is an interesting theory we've got here. <laughs> Bill's clearly got some skeletons in his closet. Or in his PC box, I guess. Uh, no, uh, well, at least more than his son, from what we saw. Also, because we kind of mentioned Rhyme City and the paradise that that city is, can we talk about the intro video on the train to Rhyme City? Because when I was watching Detective Pikachu, my whole thoughts when watching that video was like, oh no, a bunch of exposition about the world of Pokemon. And thankfully, they did avoid that, and it wasn't like... They assumed that the people watching the film were aware of Pokemon, and they didn't have to explain Pokemon. The thing that struck me as odd about the intro video on the train to Rhyme City is that they explain the laws and rules of Rhyme City when you're already on the train to Rhyme City. What if there's a Pokemon trainer who's got a bunch of Pokemon balls, like, strapped to his belt on the train, and the video's like, Pokeballs aren't allowed inside the city of Rhyme. It's like, what... What, what do I do with my Pokeballs? I'm already on the way, bought my ticket. Am I not allowed to get off the train when I get there? Why? Why do they not tell me ahead of time? And, and that was another cool thing, too, about how uh, the Pokemon in this world felt ingrained in it. It wasn't like a 10-minute explainer of like, oh, this is what a Pokemon is. It's just they, they naturally just fit into the world, and it worked out fine. I was kind of hoping that at the beginning of the movie, they'd have the, like, talk that every professor in every game has ever given you of, like, we live in the Pokemon world. There, It's inhabited by creatures like this. And then like a Pokemon pops out and he starts talking about Pokemon and all that fun stuff. I was really hoping they would have that. Just a random professor and it's like, and then ends like, so are you a boy or a girl? And it turns to Justice Smith and like, are you okay? <laughs> that would have been amazing to see, but I'm glad that they didn't go with that. I am very happy with the way that they did decide to go about that and just have some nice nature shots with Pokemon actually in the wild. A panning shot of some forest and a bunch of Pidgey and Pidgeotto flying by and a big old flock of birds. That is one thing I loved about watching this movie was how 
practically every shot there was a pokemon somewhere on screen for the shot yeah they're just but a natural part of the world it was yeah and it was played like they were a natural part of the world and it was never like played for like oh look at this it's a torterra you know torterra torterra is a cool pokemon it was just like panning shot of the world there's a torterra in the background we're not gonna like focus on it it's not like we're elbowing you and being like, hey, look at the Torterra. It's just a thing on the screen, and it's there if you want to see it, and they're not making a big deal about it if you don't care about it. It just goes to show that the people who made the movie actually put in the time and effort to research the different Pokemon and decide on what would be suitable environments for them to show up in. Yeah, and for the most part, most of them looked really good, too. Like oh, I They was... weren't really weird-looking CGI that kind of like ruined or like uncanny valley of the world. Some of them actually looked really well and fit in. Yeah, I was surprised with the quality of the Pokemon models that they had developed for the movie, especially that Lickitung. That oh, I did not like a Lickitung. Horrible, disgusting Lickitung. It was amazing, it, but it disgusting. Was everything wrong about public transit in that one scene. <laughs> Riding a train, trying to get from point A to point B, and just a stranger walks up and licks you all upside the face. Since you brought up Pokemon and the research they put into it, though... I want to talk about a couple Pokemon that they, that appeared in the film and kind of how they ta uh, how those Pokemon fit into the world uh, that already exists within the games and uh, anime and all that fun stuff. So first of all, I want to talk about Magikarp because Magikarp's <laughs> phenomenal and he's just inside this ga uh, glass tank at the back of the Pokemon Arena Underground fighting gym uh, where all the Pokemon are fighting. Glass breaks, gotta kill a Charizard that's been undone by the R drug and Pikachu just starts kicking Magikarp <laughs> while he's on the ground. He's like, if we kick it enough, it'll evolve. Just needs a big enough kick to evolve. And I love that because for anyone who's actually played any of the game, Magikarp's whole existence is getting the shit kicked out of him until he gets to a point where he can evolve into Gyarados. Which, Just because he's mad enough to. Yeah, and that's Gyarados' whole deal. Is He had the shit kicked out of him as a little kid, so now he's real mad. <laughs> really mad about his whole situation. So you can tell they definitely like understood Magikarp and also understood the fans of this show, or fans of the movie. The people who are going to see the movie well enough to kind of handle Gyarados in that way. And also fitting in uh, actual research done for the Pokemon in the movie, Ditto. The main villain was researching Mewtwo, which is a genetic clone of Mew. Ditto was actually created from trying to clone Mew. It was uh, the first experimental efforts to create a, a successful clone of Mew. Yeah, the uh, popular theory that all the Dittos, because the only place you can find them in the original games is in the Pokemon lab where Mew was studied and Mewtwo was created. Yeah, it's uh, you find Cave and the uh, Burn Manor. The Burn Manor. <laughs> That's the only place you can find Ditto. Ditto has the same color palette as Mew, and also the only Pokemon in the game who can learn Transform other than Ditto is Mew originally. So, popular theory, Ditto is failed attempts at cloning Mew, and then they got it right once and created Mewtwo, and saying they got it right still feels like a stretch, because Mewtwo is not a clone of Mew. <laughs> He's his all. own fucking problem. Other Pokemon that they had in the film that was handled quite well, well not well, was Charizard. Charizard was super cool, and really dark if you think about that fight <laughs> scene with Charizard for a second, because Charizard's fighting Pikachu, Pikachu gets a good hit on him, Charizard starts kicking the shit out of Pikachu. And then what does Justice Goodman do? He runs into the cage and starts stomping on Charizard's tail. And if you know anything about the lore of Pokemon, it doesn't explicitly say it about Charizard, but Charizard's younger form, Charmander, if his tail goes out, he dies. So Justice Goodman saw Charizard beating up his Pikachu and he's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna kill that Pokemon. Right here, right now, I'm putting out his tail, he's going to sleep forever. 
I mean, that would have been impressive too. Like, hey, that, that's a guy that killed a Charizard. <laughs> Bare hand and all. Don't blame, like, the host of the arena being like, wait, what the... Sa- He's trying to kill my Pokemon during a Pokemon battle. Not okay! Yeah, no, especially... And he runs into the fight to break it up. Especially <laughs> since the Pikachu that's currently fighting the Charizard is one that already horrifically scarred that Charizard. And there's no implications that the Pokemon die in this universe from those uh, cage fights either. Also, in no history of Pokemon, like, of the games or the anime, has a Pokemon been permanently scarred, to my knowledge. Like, they've lost in battle... But then they go to the Pokemon Center and they're perfectly fine again. No harm done. Pikachu messed up this Charizard so bad he was permanently scared. <laughs> How? I believe it was Volt Tackle. Oh yes, it was probably Volt Tackle. Speaking of Volt Tackle, I love how they handled Pokemon battles and just like they didn't like ever have like the cheesy like that music. Uh, but they did have amazing musical cues from the actual games. But like when Pikachu and Charizard are starting the battle, and Justice Goodman like he wanted to be a Pokemon trainer. He understands all the rules of Pokemon battles. Just like these are the four moves you know. I recommend this one. It'll probably work best. And then they immediately throw that move uh, out the window. And Pikachu is like, I'm gonna use this fifth move. Also, I don't know any of my moves. All right, I'm just going to see what happens. And I mean, clearly, he didn't have enough badges for this Pikachu. He clearly did not have enough badges for this Pikachu. I did love later on, though, when uh, Pikachu has his battle with Mewtwo under the control of Bill. Uh, and Pikachu's just like, all right, I clearly don't know anything about Pokemon battles. But you know who does? Justice Goodman. I'm going to do Volt Tackle like he told me like an hour ago. Hour movie time, like probably a couple days inside the movie and actually does Volt Tackle and kicks the shit out of Mewtwo with it for a second. Mewtwo immediately gets back out. Uh, now there were some Pokemon though, I don't know about you guys, but they just seemed off to me from how they looked. For example, the Apoms just it looked a little unnerving yeah. and not like an Apom should. Yeah. Well, the Pokemon as a whole, they, they made a choice when making them look kind of photorealistic for lack of a better term, like what it would look like if we were in the actual world because throughout the anime and all the games, and all that fun stuff. The Pokemon essentially looked like they were made out of vinyl. They had like perfectly smooth forms. So yeah. every time they chose to give them hair and aggressively realistic teeth in the Apoms situation, <laughs> they made a choice with how to do it. And I feel like for the most part, it did work out. But you're right. Apom just was a little bit in that uncanny valley and looked just a little bit yeah. off. And it took me a second to realize it was an Apom. I was like, oh, is that a Pokemon like from like one of the later generations that I didn't like get too into so I didn't recognize it? No, it was an Apom. Yeah. No, I realized it was they were Apoms right away as soon as I saw that hand on its tail, but then they turned their face and I was like, oh dear God. <laughs> Another Pokemon that they kind of transcribed from the games into the movie was Psyduck. Psyduck, it was interesting because like they did play off the whole fact that Psyduck's whole deal is he has telekinetic powers, has no idea how to control them, and is plagued with headaches that are somehow linked to his telekinetic powers. And essentially, the more telekinetic power he exerts, the worse his headache gets. I don't think there's any history... I know for a fact there's no history in the games of him ever exploding as a result of getting too bad of a headache. I don't think there's any reference in the anime, but it's been a while. I could be forgetting an episode where someone just pokes a Psyduck until a city is destroyed. It but. has been referenced a couple times in the anime. No explosions, but Psyduck, there were two or three times I think that it happened 
where Psyduck did unleash a massive amount of psychic energy and ended up saving the day in the Pokemon episodes. And uh, it's also mentioned a few times in the Pokedexes throughout those games, too, that he can overload and just, like, destroy stuff. But I do enjoy the fact that they kept just having an ongoing joke about, like, he's going to murder us all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, and he, Psyduck even makes that joke, too. It's like, gotta rub my feet. You love your trainer, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I also love that kind of jokes that Pikachu kept making with regards to this, because, let's be honest, Ryan Randall's Canada's greatest treasure. But him constantly, as Pikachu, talking about talking to Justice Goodman because no one else can understand about the fact that they're driving around with a bomb strapped to the back seat because if he gets too annoyed, they're all dead. I, but yes, I do love Psyduck just being like, give me a foot rep unless you want your trainer to die. <laughs> nice trainer you got there. Be a shame if something happened to him. <laughs> and then, of course, he obviously later on in the movie goes ahead and purposely sets off Psyduck. Yeah, sets off the Greninja. That was a solid little uh, Chekhov's gun right there. Talking about it for the first half of the movie only to be like, all right, now we need an explosion. Oh, wait, we got Psyduck. Let's just punch him in the face a couple times to give him a real bad headache. <laughs> I want to talk about a portion of that which is the fact that the Pokemon trading card game exists within this movie as well, as we see when Justice Goodman is checking out his father's apartment, and he walks into the room that his father had set up for him, and he's like looking through and seeing all these references to when he was a little kid, and all the reasons he should have come visit but didn't want to, and we see him like flipping through a binder of his old Pokemon cards. I love the fact that in a world with actual Pokemon, some kids still collect Pokemon trading cards, and they're like, I'm too scared to go out and be an actual Pokemon trainer, but like... I'll pretend to be one with these playing cards that can never possibly hurt me. I mean, they have to do something until they turn 10 anyways, yeah. I guess. I mean, and just think about it. In a world where Pokemon are real, there's Pokemon cards. We have hockey players, not Pokemon trainers. We have hockey cards. Basketball players, basketball cards. And Yu-Gi-Oh! is Yu-Gi-Oh! cards. Exactly. True, true. Very true. I don't think anyone uses their hockey cards to do battle with another person <laughs> no. who also has hockey cards. I don't think anyone. No, plays... I'm going to use an actual hockey player for that. I don't think anyone plays <laughs> fantasy hockey with their hockey cards. I want a fantasy hockey murder league. Like my hockey player can beat your hockey player in a fight. You just track that throughout the year. Yeah, track like the fights that the players get. In... We're getting off on a tangent, but episode for the future and you're not fucking me over this time guys we're actually doing this we're talking about hockey battles <laughs> <laughs> all right also can we talk about kind of within the greater lore of the show how it fits with like so many things we already know from previous movies and anime shows like the fact that Mewtwo is found in Kanto like he escaped and he's just presumably hanging out in the mysterious cave in Kanto and that's where John Goodman goes to find him or the fact that the reason that Mewtwo decides not to kill humanity, like we have the little red herring halfway through when like we get half of the vision that Mewtwo is showing to Justice Goodman and you hear him saying, you have shown me that humanity is evil and then he gets cut away because yeah. Mewtwo gets captured. And then later on at the end we see the rest of that scene and it's like, you've shown me that humanity is evil, but certain humans are still kind. And it's like, I love that little like homage to the fact that Mewtwo hates humanity but Pikachu convinces Mewtwo that, like, eh, I guess a couple people, all right. I won't destroy the world today. Seems to be a unique Pikachu trait for when you're fighting Mewtwo. Yeah. Because every time there's been a Mewtwo in any of the movies, or, yeah, just the movies, because uh, the game's never touched on this, but Mewtwo always hates the human race, and he's always shown that despite how much bad there is in the world, there are still some humans who are trying to make a difference in the world and who are good. This... Now that I think about it, why doesn't Mewtwo just, like, hire all of the Gyaradoses in the world? 
Mewtwo hates humanity because of the experiments they put on him. Gyarados hates humanity because of the fact that he was tortured as a child to turn into Gyarados. I mean, I don't think all Gyaradoses are uniquely tortured by humans. I don't think there's any evidence of a Pokemon ever evolving not through ownership by a trainer. No, for a fact there is. I refuse to live in that world, though. Well, the only way Gyarados exists is by being kicked by children. <laughs> Oh no, there is that one from Pokemon Snap that you threw up a waterfall. True. Yeah, but the reason Mewtwo wouldn't do that is because, look at him, he always is found in seclusion. He's always by himself. He doesn't want to be bothered by other people. And he wouldn't want to follow, I guess, the same kind of path that the most that humans take that he so despises, actually using Pokemon for their own personal gains. If he was to do that, then he'd himself be using Pokemon for his own gains. Fair. I mean, you don't have to use someone for your own gains to work with them. True. I work with you guys, and I feel like at least Keith would agree I'm not using you for my own gain. I don't know what Matt thinks about this situation mm -hmm. right now. We'll I might be taking advantage of you. All right, Keith, you want to talk about the villain's plot? Yeah, so there was one thing that came to mind when I was watching uh, the plot unfold at the end of the movie, and that was Bill's grand plan is pretty much the Joker's plan from Batman 89. Explain. Elaborate, please. So, essentially, the idea here is he wants to use this gas to infect the citizens and make them like him. What's the method of transporting this gas? Balloons during a parade. Yep, I, I I accept your conjecture. I want to see where you're going with this. Uh, and then the plot of Batman 89 is pretty much the rest of this uh, sequence here where the hero shows up in the sky to fight him. Yep. He gets knocked down and they have to fight on the ground. Or oh. rooftop of a building, I guess. Close enough. And then he beats him and destroys all the gas. I also, I hate how right you are right now. <laughs> I hate everything about this, uh, but also can't see a single flaw in your argument. Oh. They essentially recreated Batman uh, 89 except using Pokemon instead of Batman's rogue cast of villains. Yeah, instead of having a fight in the bell tower at the end where he throws Mewtwo off the side, they just kind of have like a Super Smash Bros. melee poke float fight. Oh, that'd be an amazing Super Smash Bros. add-on instead of like... Adding, like, I don't know, Joker to Super Smash Bros. or whatever it is. Add Bill to Super Smash Bros. And it's just a guy in a wheelchair with a headset on and just a random other Super Smash Bros. fighter that he controls. <laughs> you can't beat up the Super Smash Bros. fighter. You gotta beat up Bill himself. It's a reskin for Pokemon Trainer. No, it's a reskin for Mewtwo. <laughs> but now, speaking on the villain, when the uh, story was first broaching the whole mystery and uh, the characters were trying to figure out who was behind the whole plot, at that point, it was kind of... Uh, uh, up in the air who the villain could be. There was Bill, but then there was his son, who looked to be a little more on the down or the underhanded side just because of the way the characters were introduced. Yeah, as soon as I saw him, I was like, well, this is clearly the villain of the movie. Bill seems fine. Bill's a cool guy. He's in a wheelchair. He can't be evil. Yeah, and this is a Pokemon movie. Uh, you'd expect to take things at surface level. But then our main character is taken by the Ditto Lady to see some person in a big office building. And you first enter his office and you see some man in the shadows in a chair behind a big desk and a hologram. And you're immediately thinking, okay, this is the villain. Actually, I didn't clue when he was the villain at that point. I was like, really? Wheelchair man still seems legit. Yeah, my thought at that point was that it was like a fake out and they were presenting him as the villain. And then we're very quickly going to be like, oh no, he's a good guy. It's too early for like the hero to meet the villain in the plot. It's clearly like he's the hero of the story. He's just going to kind of be disguised in shadows just to throw us off the scent 
of his son for a little bit. And that's kind of what they did a little bit. Like, they immediately cut away from him being shrouded in Stratus. Like, no, I'm your friend. See, look, this is a video of your father not dying. Um, I made the Pokemon computer system. You can trust me. I'm Bill, your good friend Bill. Yeah, and, uh, that, and I didn't figure out that he was the bad guy, too, until the actual reveal of it at the bridge is like, oh, the Greninjas and the all of the details that were not there in the video that he definitely should have seen. And then even with, I was like, oh, it's the son and the father working together. And I didn't even clue into that one until like the fact that he falls into the closet. Like, wait a second, the ditto. <laughs> yeah. No, as soon as I saw that moment, that uh, scene, I started piecing it together. He showed the hologram like, okay, it's a advanced hologram that takes together information and puts it together in a view you can see. I'm like, all right. But what happens if you manipulate that so you only show what you want someone to be shown? Then you can manipulate them into doing what you want them to. Oh, definitely. And uh, so I started going through the rest of the movie just following that. Okay, the guy in the wheelchair is the main villain and not his son. And then uh, his son starts to, or someone who looks like his son, is approaching the main character and the reporter girl when they're investigating the laboratory. And I'm like, okay, I guess his son's in on this. That was a little bit unexpected, but okay. They're working together for uh, mutual gain, I, I suppose. And, and the fun thing about that too is it wasn't just like a, a ditto twist out of nowhere. They showed the ditto earlier turn into a person to help Bill get yeah. away with the wheelchair too. That uh, was actually Lucia. amazingly done for the movie. So I have a revelation for you. Yes. You've brought this background to what I've always wanted to talk about, which was my point in Teletubbies was all about how technology will spell our demise. <laughs> You've started talking about the technology within the show and how technology is shown to be evil with, throughout this movie. So all we're right. going to talk about my points for Teletubbies, but now about Pokemon. Because the one thing that we're shown throughout the film is that our reliance and inherent trust in technology is our greatest downfall. He sees this hologram video of his father climbing out of the car, immediately trusts everything that Bill is telling him. It's like, oh, Bill's a good guy. He's on my side. He's trying to help me find my father. We don't question it for a second that he's only showing us a specific view because it's a 3D thing. We're seeing all the views we want to see, except for the Greninjas, except for the fact that it cuts away and doesn't show, like, we don't question, why does the video cut off? He clearly has video of everything. Why does the video cut off as soon as we don't get to see where the father calls away? We see Mewtwo and then don't see anything happen with that. Why don't we see these things? We just inherently trust that the technology is good because the technology solves a problem for us. And that's the plot of Teletubbies too. They have an inherent trust uh, in uh, tech- Pete, Pete, yeah, stop. Uh, you, have, you have a problem and we're talking about Detective Pikachu. But uh, it, it, they're the same story. You no, I already proved it's Batman 89. And Batman 89, I'm now proving, is actually Teletubbies. Uh, okay, finish this point, but we're not touching Teletubbies again after it. What they're trying to show is that our kind of trust in technology and our preference for the easy way out through technology makes us lazy and allows us to ignore... We choose the easy answer, which technology provides us, rather than the hard answer, which we can trust more. So we choose to take the easy way out, and that easy way out is our downfall every time. You see it in countless movies of just this idea that, oh, this was easier, so we just put a satellite in the sky to put out all the storms, rather than just, like, fighting global warming by not making pollution. I'm talking about Geostorm. Terrible movie. <laughs> Don't recommend it at all. How many movies are you going to talk about in this one? <laughs> every movie ever, because my main point is not about Detective Pikachu at all. It's about how technology is demonized in movies, and we need to move on because we need to find a balance where we use technology without just inherently trusting technology. 
Peter, I'm going to need you to stop looking that aggressively at the recording equipment. Keith, it's listening to us and hears every word we say. How do we know who's listening to this right now? For all I know, there's someone out there named Katie taking notes of what everything we're saying. And she's planning on murdering Matt in his sleep tonight. Wait, what? Oh, um, there's someone out there named Katie who's planning on murdering you in your sleep tonight. I'm assuming she's the one who set up this recording equipment and is listening to our conversation right now. Anyway... Well, actually, speaking about the hologram, anyways, <laughs> it is kind of a weird t technology to have into the series. It just kind of came out of nowhere, like this complete holographic thing. We I have seen holographs before in the anime and the movies, specifically the first movie where we actually see Mewtwo. He sends out a hologram invitation to the trainers he invites to his mansion. I want to, just on that topic, I think it's a little bit peculiar that, like, we see the area where the car crash happens... There's no cameras there, so does he just, like, magically have hologram recordings of the entirety of Rhyme City? Yeah, it's... Without cameras recording any of it? Yeah, just a bridge in the back road had cameras recording, and obviously, like, there's a police force and, you know, Pokemon Bell and all of that is completely illegal. Why is there not a zero crime rate in this town? Why does not... Why doesn't Bill control every aspect of this town? Because the moment anyone acts against Bill, he should know about it and be like, Hey, you... I'm going to send a Greninja to kill you in your sleep. Well, like, the moment that John Goodman started acting against Bill, Bill should have known, and Bill should have just killed John Goodman immediately. Well, uh, the main villain's son is the one in control of most of the city. He controls most of the media, he controls the press, he controls everything that the public sees and what the public wants to hear. He also saw Justice Goodman brutally murder that Mr. Mime. He, he did nothing about it. That was horrific, because... You, like, it's played for jokes. Is like, he's not actually doing this. He's just, like, miming doing it to mess with Mr. Mime. The horror in Mr. Mime's eyes tells you that everything that's happening may not seem real to any of the other characters. It is very real to Mr. Mime. Oh, yeah, he drops the match, and then it cuts. It cuts. Yeah. And we don't see him again. We just see the panic in his eyes we as he is about to die. in Mr. Mime's eyes. And fire in an invisible box. He can't get out of that box. Either. He cuts the door on him. <laughs> Can you imagine, like... Because I'm assuming in a city that's all about harmony between Pokemon and trainers and all this fun stuff, I'm assuming the police also investigate crimes against Pokemon. Can you imagine showing up at a crime scene and, like, seeing a burnt-to-a-crisp Mr. Mime? First of all, can't even actually get to touch the body because it's surrounded in a physical, invisible wall. Yeah, they need to find the door. You find the door, you open it up, you find a corpse. How are you supposed to solve this crime at all? You can't see any of the things involved with committing the crime. How? How did that happen? How? Do, do you just walk in and be like, ah, someone murdered a Mr. Mime. Okay, nothing I can do about this because they inv murdered him using invisible weapons and have no blood to track him by because the blood is also invisible. I also enjoyed the implication of this scene where even though it was all like, you know, the imaginary fire and the imaginary box and gasoline, that this Mr. Mime is still charred and burnt to a crisp. Yeah. Yeah, despite there being actually no fire whatsoever, just what's in his mind. Which provides even more fast... That might make Mr. Mime the most powerful Pokemon of all time. If, like, he can imagine something, and regardless of whether or not anyone else sees it or whether it's even real, the fact that he's imagining it in his head makes it real. He could, like choose to imagine a knife and like go to stab someone someone's like you're just making a stabbing motion at me all of a sudden there's a hole in buddy's arm and there's no knife to actually find the hole what made the hole with he just stops making the motion knife's gone mr mom's getting away free and safe that is actually terrifying and actually plausible with what mr mom can do yep mr mom's whole ability is just wrapped up in 
a serial killer. Which, granted, with Mr. Mime's appearance, seems fitting. He looks like a serial yeah, killer already. Uh, Mr. Mime MMO right there. Yep. But definitely, Mr. Mime was probably one of the best parts of this whole movie, too. Yes. Uh, the part that I enjoyed the most of that scene wasn't even, like, the uh, accident, like, setting him on fire part, though. But when Pikachu's there trying to guess what he's saying, when Justice uh, uh, Smith is there dosing in gasoline, and he makes the complete wrong guess, and not just, like, Mr. Mime was going with this, so we're at the point where it's like, is it real or not? Or is he just playing around? And even he stops going, like, what? Like, <laughs> give him a what motion to what he was doing in the middle of being dosed with this invisible gasoline. Yeah. I want to jump back a little bit. Because we were talking about twists earlier, and I just remembered something I wanted to say with regards to the twists. Because a lot of the twists felt earned and, like, properly hinted at throughout the film. One of the twists felt a little bit less earned and a little bit out of left field, for lack of a better term. And that was the fact that, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, this is a huge spoiler, but go ahead anyways and continue listening. Haven't seen the movie and have made it this far into the podcast. Yeah. Uh... So at the end of the movie, we find out that uh, John Goodman was dying as he crawled outside of the car. And Pikachu made a deal with Mewtwo to transfer John Goodman's soul into Pikachu, as we've already discovered is one of Mewtwo's powers, uh, so that Pikachu could allow John Goodman to continue living. And once Justice showed up, John could then be given back a corporeal form through Mewtwo, through magic or whatever. And so Pikachu talks to Justice throughout the whole film. Uh, not actually Pikachu, though. It's John Goodman in Pikachu's body the whole time. But we realize at the end of the film, when we actually see John Goodman is Ryan Reynolds and talks to his son, that Pikachu was talking with John Goodman's voice the entire time. How do you not recognize that the Pikachu that started talking, you're the only one who can hear his voice, is talking to you with your father's voice? Well, that is actually easy, really easy to explain. Because as a kid he barely ever saw his father. He was living with his grandmother for the vast majority of his life. So he wouldn't know what his father sounded like. And even if he did, that was when he was really young. He hasn't seen his father for years. So that's uh, someone's voice is something that's easily forgotten. And here's the weird thing about this too. I, I might be the odd one out in this, but Ryan Reynolds being his father didn't come as a twist to me. As soon as the, the first time we saw a flashback of his father and it didn't show his face, it was like, it's Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is going to be the father of this guy. But... Everyone else I talked to about this seems 100% shocked that Ryan Reynolds was the father. I was sitting there in the theater when the whole thing at the end happens where it's like, the father you've been searching for has been with you the whole time. And someone in the back theater is here, whoa! And then from the back of the theater while I'm sitting there, dead silence, it's just that one guy in the background just so stoked. I wasn't super caught off guard. I figured it was going to be something like that. I wasn't exactly sure it was going to be Ryan Reynolds. I knew it was going to be something like that, though. Um... But uh, it was definitely played as a twist. Like, the fact that they refused to show Ryan Reynolds' face at all through any of the flashbacks. The fact that he was always, like, shrouded in shadows and never fully seen. I knew it was going to be someone we had seen multiple times throughout the beginning of the film. Yeah, and come on, guys. You don't hire Ryan Reynolds to not show Ryan Reynolds. True. You, you kind of do. No. De have you seen Deadpool 2? They There's still show Ryan Reynolds. Do they actually show Ryan Reynolds? They do, yeah. with his horribly disfigured face. Not exactly. to mention, at the beginning of the uh, first movie, he's perfectly fine. Yes, right? at the beginning of... Okay, I take it back, because I would argue, even with his horribly disfigured face, that's not actually Ryan Reynolds you're showing, that's a horribly disfigured face you're showing. I take it back, because in the sequence when he dies and is in the afterlife trying to talk to his beloved, they actually do show Ryan Reynolds as Ryan Reynolds. So I take back what I said, even there they showed Ryan Reynolds. That's right, and I'm positive there is nothing that you can find where Ryan Reynolds was cast but not shown. I dare 
all the Katie's out there who are going to murder Matt later on tonight to find a movie where Ryan Reynolds is cast and never shown on screen. I, I don't like this joke. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff was a joke. Yeah, we got emails, Matt. One of them was Katie, and she said she really didn't like you. She said something about she likes the sound of your voice and wants to wear it? I don't know how you wear a voice, but it was weird, and, like, it went on. It was several unedited paragraphs. I'm sure we'll have a podcast about it. Yeah. And... Maybe that's what our podcast will be about. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about again before Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> See, that's another reason that when you hire Ryan Reynolds, you show Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, as right, I said no. already, he's Canada's greatest treasure. He tends to derail conversations because now I'm just thinking about how beautiful Ryan Reynolds is. No, right, the uh, the whole twist that Ryan Reynolds uh, was actually his father. Now, I didn't actually expect that, but once it was revealed, I wasn't surprised just because of all of the hints that they actually laid out through the movie. Okay, this Pikachu has amnesia. He has a hat that has his father's name on it. This Pikachu can't remember how to do any of Pikachu's attacks. Sure, amnesia, or the fact that he actually has never used any of Pikachu's attacks, so it wouldn't even be muscle memory. So, to go back to you guys saying, like, oh, it's been ten years since he heard his father's voice and all that fun stuff, not to get, like, dark or anything, it's been a couple years since I've spoken to my father, I still recognize his voice. It's the kind of thing that sticks with you when you have a parent who is a part of your life, because it's shown that Ryan Reynolds was a part of his life until his mother died, and his mother died when he was around 10. So for 10 years, his father was a part of his life. I still think he would recognize it, even if it's been another 15 years since he's spoken to his father. I still feel like he probably would have recognized his father's voice. I mean, when he started hearing Pikachu 2, he thought that he was crazy. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Mewtwo trying to kill you, evil plots. A Pokemon talking to you. Yeah, I think I can see how it might get misplaced, even if you would recognize the voice. Fair enough. And also, he didn't really like his father at the time. Although, to talk about that... Since we've talked about the fact that his father was a little bit absent and not a great father, can we talk about how perfectly that fits in within the lore of Pokemon in that there is not a solid, like, regular participating-in-your-life parent in all of Pokemon? Most of the games involve you having a mother and not a father, and also your mother's like, cool, see you never, have fun exploring the world, it's been fun knowing you for the first ten years of your life. Uh, the, the major thing that Pokemon characters and Disney princesses have in common. Except for Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, where your father is actually one of the gym leaders, who you see maybe twice in the game. Yeah, you see him once when he's like, hey, you're a trainer now, I guess. Cool. You want to show this other kid how to catch Pokemon? And you're like, not really, Dad, but I guess you're still my dad, so sure. And then you see him later when you fight him, and that's your entire interactions with your father. Although, that might be the greatest representation of a parental-child relationship, is a father who is absent throughout your entire life... And then you grow strong enough to defeat your father and leave him behind forever. I mean, that's just normal human nature. <laughs> Absolutely. It's Oedipus. It's a thing that's been a part of all of human life. Beating your father in a Pokemon battle. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Oedipus was about. It's about catching the greatest and strongest Pokemon so that you can defeat your father with Pokemon. Or Pokemon cards if you're a coward. Or Pokemon cards. If you live inside the Pokemon universe and still collect Pokemon cards. Uh, now, this is something that's... More so related to the fact that the Pokemon movie is based on a video game. But is this possibly the first fully good video game movie? Do you feel like we're going to just see like rows and rows of video game movies from this point on because someone's figured it out? I hope not because the world of video game movies is filled with a lot of trash and a lot of not good. But the problem is that even when they're trash, the like video game name tied to it 
still makes it a lot of money. So Hollywood never learns the lesson of don't make a bad movie and tie a video game to it. They're like, hey, it worked the last time. Let's do it again. Oh, definitely. And like, but I can very easily see this suffering from the MCU situation where comic book movies were a thing. They did not do super well through most of time. Like, they made a bit of money, but they were never the biggest box office earners. And then the Dark Knight trilogy came out, and they were wildly successful. And then everyone's like, oh, cool, comic book movies. That's what makes money nowadays. And so I can very easily see them using this as a sign that they need to make more video game movies to make more money. Oh, and to be fair, too, it's not to say that there aren't uh, video game IP movies made that weren't successful. Resident Evil, for example, they made a lot of those, and they always make the return back on their money. But it was kind of like it loosely based on the series as well. Uh, the only one I can really remember that I enjoyed that seemed really close was the first Mortal Kombat movie. I love the Mortal Kombat movies. So good. But this Pokemon movie seems like it got the world right. It felt like it was part of that universe. Like you could say it's canon to the games or the anime and it still feels like that's correct. Yeah, and that's the thing I love about this is like it didn't do anything so egregious as to like not fit within the world. Like there was never a moment where it like showed a Pikachu like breathing fire or something like that. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense within the context of the game. So this clearly doesn't make sense. Everything would make sense within the games if you stretched it a little bit, but also at the same time, it worked the other way, and like they took stuff from the games to bring into the movie, but also nothing about this movie wouldn't work if you brought it back into the games. Like I could very easily see Rhyme City being an actual city within a Pokemon game. We've already seen Pokemon games where instead of having all your Pokemon in balls, you have one that follows you around and walks on the ground. And like the city as a whole felt like all of the Pokemon cities from all the games, where it's like very modern, but not like overtly technologically based it's all kind of very nice and like warm and there's lots of neon lighting everywhere because pokemon is just full of neon lighting if you actually play the games and look at it there's just so many bright lights throughout that but also everything's super clean it doesn't feel like there's any slums to any of the cities and at the same time too it also you knowing pokemon wasn't a requirement to enjoy this movie i find no like i knew a lot about pokemon going in but there was nothing about the movie that's like well you need to know pokemon specifically to actually get this but at the same time, there were definite parts of the movie where knowing, like, there were parts, no part of it was built where the scene is ruined if you don't know Pokemon. But at the same time, every scene had a little bit of this, if you go into this already knowing Pokemon, is enhanced by your knowledge of Pokemon. Like, all of the scenes with Psyduck threatening to explode and talking about his headaches. Not something you need to understand Pokemon to capture, but, like, understanding Pokemon and knowing this much about Psyduck, it's like, yeah, awesome, I like this scene because of the story it tells. The scene with Magikarp, fantastic because of what I know about Pokemon. In no way is understanding Pokemon, like, a necessity to understanding that scene. And also seeing that a semi-prominent character in the movie was a Ditto, and now, uh, next time I go back to watch that movie, I'm going to watch every single background character in every single scene and see if I can pick out a ditto in every scene of the movie. <laughs> I don't think you'll be able to pick out a ditto in every scene, but I would not be surprised to find out that there are more dittos than we thought. Uh, another uh, thing, too, to just talk about, too, is very much I did enjoy this movie. I uh, put it like one of the best movies I've seen so far this year. Uh, but there were definitely some issues with it, too. For example, I don't know how you guys felt, but the opening seemed a little over-cheesy to me. Yeah, the, like, trying to catch the, uh, 
Cubone? Yeah, seems. because the main character is apparently a loner, and Cubone was the perfect Pokemon for him well, because it's also a loner. I don't even mean that, too. Like, the guy that his friend that was helping him catch it seemed like, you know, a guy pretending to be a Pokemon trainer at, like, you know, a Pokemon convention or something like that. Like, he didn't seem grounded in this world fully. He seemed like a caricature of what you would expect in this world. Of, like, is this what Pokemon trainers in this world are actually like? Are they just over the top? Like, I'm gonna catch them all, yeah! Yeah, and also, their interactions together didn't feel quite natural. It felt no. more like they were reading off a script, so it kind of felt like that scene was just an, an afterthought for introducing them. Oh, definitely. That scene also has the one moment I feel in my mind that was like very much played tongue-in-cheek towards the fans of Pokemon where he throws the Pokeball and then he runs over and he's like, wait, it hasn't turned green yet! And it like, it tries to play off the stress every Pokemon trainer has ever felt of like watching the ball twitch mm -hmm. and waiting for the stairs to come up and say the Pokemon's been caught. Like it played off that stress that players of the game have played but probably wasn't as relatable to any of the people in the audience who yeah. weren't fans mm -hmm. of the games part of me was just there it's like just hold down the a button yeah just mash a until the pokemon's caught that's what you got to do and it doesn't actually work but it's a nice placebo effect yeah. and i felt like the movie didn't really come into its own stride until he got to rhyme city as well that's when i felt like him sitting on the train from that point on it didn't seem as cheesy anymore like it felt like everyone was taking it seriously but not everyone was taking it fully seriously because there was definitely people throughout the movie that just seemed like they weren't putting an effort into the acting of the movie. Yeah. Uh, the one that comes to mind is when they're doing the battle uh, in the underground area. The announcer guy seems very unenthused about the battle. It's like, it's Pikachu versus Charizard. Oh, he used fire breath. Critical hit. <laughs> yeah, he just like was so monotone and unimpressed about it. But to be fair, you could also say he was trying to emulate the uh, good old announcer from one of the Pokemon Stadium games. <laughs> Very enthusiastic, but at the same time, just reading a script. Yeah. I will say, though, the two main characters, I did quite like their playing off of each other with... Well, actually, the three main characters, because there's the female reporter, the Justice Goodman... And there's Pikachu. And just, like, Justice Goodman being super awkward talking to the female reporter. And Pikachu making fun of him for it. And, like, him trying to strike a balance between, like, telling Pikachu to shut up so he can do his thing. Yeah. And also not looking like a crazy person telling his Pokemon to shut up <laughs> in front of the girl. Oh, there's uh, so many good scenes between the two of them, too. Uh, like, uh, the one that comes to mind right off the bat is when he first meets her in the news station. And it's like, we have to go check this out at night. And he's like, don't worry. I'm good at being alone at night. <laughs> 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 that part, I lost it at that part right there. It's like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> uh, but the thing I also enjoyed too is like, they obviously played with the idea that uh, Justice's character had a thing for her. He even mentions it a few times. But it in no way played any point to the story, nor was it even paid off. Yeah. Like, they, I love that they didn't feel the need to have like an ending where they like kiss or something before the final conflict. Like, their characters, they both have their own part to play. But like, romance is not a part of the story right. it might be a thing where they both have feelings for each other but it's never like the part of the climax of the film is them acting on it like it's just a thing that happens in the film yeah yeah and it's just they're there they're together and they're worried about each other's safety yeah and they might even address it in a sequel i can see them possibly making some more uh down the line but it wasn't required to neatly wrap up this story speaking of relationships though can we talk about what is most likely a slightly more unrequited relationship between Pokemon and trainer. Well, not Pokemon and trainers, but yes, Pokemon and trainers, which is... So Bill's whole plan is to take... Uh, he invents a city where every person has a partner in the form of a Pokemon. 
specifically so that he can take people and merge them with their Pokemon partner, make their souls into one. Just can, like Dinotopia. Just like, sure. <laughs> um, can you imagine being Ditto in that universe and just being like, you do everything in your power to help your master achieve his goals because you love Bill so much. And then Bill's like, all right, cool. I'm going to capture Mewtwo and put my soul into his body and just being Ditto be like, wait, what? I thought, I thought... I thought we were going to be friends. No, no. I want the cool Pokemon. You're a piece of shit. I'm going to be with him. Also, why didn't Bill just merge with Mewtwo the normal way? Instead of just having this headset on that could easily be removed. He left Justice Goodman alone in the room with him and went off to do stuff. Yeah. And just pulling the helmet off stops it. I like. I could accept the argument that like he needed to put the headset on to get himself into Mew to control that. But once he's into Mew... Just, like, use Mew's power to make that shift permanent. You're golden. No one's ever undoing this plan Or, even if he can't make the shift permanent, take his body somewhere else. Yeah, somewhere don't, safe. Don't leave it with the one person who will stop you. Yeah. The one person who just has to go, poke, headset's off, you're loose. I mean, to be fair, he also didn't figure out to remove the headset for quite some time. Yeah. So, one last thing I kind of want to talk about is how they played up the thing from... That they always talk about in the games, but I don't feel like it's a huge, actual, active part of the game. Which is that anytime you're playing the games and, like, you win a critical battle, it's always played off as, like, you didn't win because you're the best trainer or because you gr grinded until your Pokemon were the strongest Pokemon. You won because your love for your Pokemon was greater and that shone through your battle and allowed them to win in the battle. And, like, that's kind of played off in this movie as well, where it's just, like... The reason that Justice and Pikachu win the day is because of Justice's love for Pikachu and Pikachu's love for Justice as, like, a father without realizing that he's his father. Because of the fact that, like, in the end, Pikachu takes down Mewtwo in a fight that he should not have been able to take down Mewtwo. Even if it's only temporarily, he keeps up with Mewtwo for long enough for Justice to be able to go, boop, headsets off. And it just kind of plays on that whole thing that, like, it's their love for each other and the strength of their bond that allows them to win the battle. I like they talk about that being a thing in the games, but I'll be honest. Most of the fights I won in Pokemon were not won because I love my Pokemon super hard. It was because I'm going into a Thunder Gym. I'm going to stock up on Rock Pokemon who just kick the crap out of Thunder Pokemon and not have to think about what I'm doing. And in relation to the whole relationship dynamic... Uh, if you love your Pokemon and your Pokemon's bond is strong enough, you'll overcome anything. Their uh, father-son relationship, the Pikachu main character relationship, another hint at the fact that Detective Pikachu, Ryan Reynolds, was actually his father, was when, in the laboratory, they first see that uh, uh, the security footage of Pikachu breaking Mewtwo out or doing whatever, and he comes to the conclusion, not knowing the full truth, that he ended up betraying his father. No, oh, no. I'm the bad guy. <laughs> and uh, then at after they get out of the lab and Mewtwo heals Pikachu and Mewtwo gets captured, um, that whole thing with uh, Ryan Reynolds, Detective Pikachu, saying that he's going to leave, he's betrayed too many people, he betrayed his partner, he didn't want to betray the main character again. That is in linking to uh, how his father kind of betrayed him already when he left him alone and just to immerse himself in his work which also led to my favorite scene in the movie with uh, ryan reynolds singing i want to be the very best yeah very sadly sad. singing the pokemon theme song to himself that i was quite a big fan of although talking about that i kind of want to jump backwards in time a little bit and talk about what led to pikachu getting hurt which is 
this kind of lab that they go to where they're performing genetic experiments on Pokemon. And the first experiment they pull is the making the Greninjas like more powerful and more aggressive and turning them into essentially actual ninjas. And then the second experiment is making literally gigantic Torterras. Like the size of an actual mountain Torterras. Yeah. They come across a Torterra garden and they're like, are they growing Torterras? They're making them bigger? Uh, they don't seem that much bigger. They look normal. Okay. Maybe the experiment's just starting. I... That one was one where, like, the moment they, like, run into the Torterra Garden, and then it's, like, an open tent at the back. I'm like, nope, they're running into the Torterra Garden now. <laughs> it's about to be some real big Torterras. But I I love that idea of, like, scientists being like, hey, I want to win all of the Pokemon battles ever. I'm just going to... Essentially, those scientists were, like, the EVIV trainers of the Pokemon world, where they're like, I'm going to breed Pokemon to be the most aggressive and powerful Pokemon in the entire world, and then I'm going to run into a battle and kill a small child with my Pokemon. <laughs> That's essentially what those scientists were. They were EV and IV trainers of the Pokemon world. But also those two experiments, the giant Torterra and the faster, stronger Greninja, they're both experiments on enhancing the body, enhancing body strength, muscular strength, or enhancing the size, growing the body. Which, uh, the main villain, his, I guess, his genetic defect or whatever disease he had was muscular dystrophy? Yes. So yeah, his body was deteriorating. So, in a, in a sense, that lines up to with what he'd potentially originally start researching into would be, like, strengthening his muscles, preventing deterioration, growing them. And then he probably, along the way, stumbled across Mewtwo and learned, hey, I can put my mind into something else. Yes, Bill at some point stumbled across Mewtwo tried to invent a teleporter using Mewtwo's technology because like I can going back to this that was a lie he wasn't trying to invent a teleporter he knew he was creating an, a machine that would transport his body or his mind into the body of a Pokemon he just didn't care and wanted to do that and realized it did not work out the way he was hoping all along I think I think that's what's going on there to go back to the Pokemon games Maybe that's explain the how they'll explain the fact that they're going to have to find some MacGuffin to put either uh, Ryan Reynolds or Justice Smith back into Pikachu for Detective Pikachu 2. Yeah. Or maybe finally get Danny DeVito. I'd be so happy if they got Danny DeVito. That, that clip online is still probably one of my favorite ones where they just dubbed over all the Detective Pikachu the game with Danny DeVito. Yeah. Well, I guess that wraps everything up. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you think this is a good kind of topic for our podcast? Pokemon, yes. Teletubbies, absolutely. Detective Pikachu, I think, is probably not the topic of our podcast. Yeah, I think we're still going to be looking. All right. Well, I guess that means our search isn't quite over. So we'll be back again in the future with another episode of What Is My Podcast About? So uh, if you're interested in figuring that out alongside us, or maybe you just have another idea for us to talk about, just uh, send us an email at whatismypodcastabout and tune in to listen to our any future episodes any of the uh, major podcast hosting apps. Yeah, and make sure to tune in next time uh, for our episode, which should be coming out on the 3rd of June. Ooh. I wonder what it's going to be about. Well, maybe dun, we'll find dun, out what dun, our dun, podcast dun, is dun, about. Dun, 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 dun. Is that the Teletubbies theme? That's the Teletubbies theme. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm.